Hey everyone, David Bowden here. Before we start the show, we have a special announcement from the team here at Spoken Gospel. As we approach our summer film block, we're filming our final introductions for our whole project on the Bible, including books of the Bible like the book of Revelation and Chronicles, and it's going to be an amazing time. And we are almost finished funding our need for this film block, and we have about $30,000 left to cross the finish line. And we are asking you, our podcast listeners, to help make this possible. So please consider supporting our mission by visiting the Spoken Gospel website, clicking on donate and contributing what you can. Whether you choose to donate once or monthly, we're so grateful for your support. Okay, now on with the show. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. This is our attempt to speak the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. We believe every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Let's jump in. Well, hey there, everyone. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Indeed. In, indeed. indeed. Indubitably, which is just a fun word to say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, it's not, it's only one of those words I use after somebody says indeed. Oh, of course. You don't start with <laughs> indubitably. You, you, it's a, it's a, it's an ironic follow-up. <laughs> That's the only. It's the only thing that is used for. Or unless you're playing Sherlock Holmes. That's right. Yes. These are the Elementary two. dear Watson. Indubitably, Watson. So it's, it's yeah, either sarcasm. It. Yep. Or you are Sherlock Holmes. That's, <laughs> that's it. That's the only. Welcome. Welcome to the numbers. To numbers, <laughs> numbers. Chapter seven. <laughs> yeah. So we uh, last time we talked about the ritual purity in the camp, maintaining it. Uh, you, if you'll remember, uh, Israel as is at Mount Sinai. They are about to set out to the land of Canaan. Um, God is is there with them and. It wants to make sure that they maintain purity being close to him. So right. we talked about like what happens when they move the tent and yeah. wh- uh, what happens whenever sin is committed in the camp, whether confessed or unconfessed. How does God act as a divine judge and lawgiver mm-hmm. in this new Eden? Right. And then we talked about like there's God in the tabernacle and you want to ask him of something. You want to take a really extreme vow. You could take the Nazarite vow. We talked about that. And now, uh, and, and then we got the priestly benediction at the end. Which ends with... Peace. Yes. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, give you peace, all this stuff. And then basically then they set out. But right. before they do, we have chapter seven to nine, which is an, an interlude and it's a flashback. So, it's you know, flashback. those times in movies mm-hmm. right. where it's like the, the color scheme is a little different and yeah, there's yeah. like, uh, or like in Wayne's World when they're like, no anyway that's how they that's how they initiate like transitions and stuff in wayne's world that's funny anyway uh this is a flashback and we go back to exodus 40 right before god fills the tabernacle with his presence and moses can't get in so think about that they're on their way to the new eden and this is where they will live forever in god's presence and they're flashing back to when God gave his law and his presence landed for the first time in the tabernacle. Right. So like they should feel parallel to you. God's presence will dwell in the land, his presence dwells in the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. And in both situations, it's being preceded by perfect obedience. Yes. In Exodus, they perfectly executed the plans for the tabernacle. And once they had obeyed, and it was really long, and they give you the commands for the tabernacle twice. Twice. Because they want to show you in precise detail that Israel obeyed. And here again, we see it all again to prove the exact point 
that the people of God are obeying. Yeah. So much so that the author in these in these chapter in this chapter, chapter seven, will say it seven times. Yep. The people obeyed. The people obeyed. Right. And that should be significant because it's a week of creation and yep. they're going into the new Eden. Yes. Right? <laughs> this is, it's, we make the perfectly point going into new creation. Yeah. They're perfectly obeying. I, and 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 this should feel um, maybe painfully familiar to the end of Exodus where you're like, this is hard to read. This is repetitive. Yes. This feels like I've read this before. This is 89 verses um, of repeating the same set of sacrifices 12 times. With just a different first <laughs> sentence. Yes. And so it's just like, so it's how, so repetitive. So as a, as, a, as, a, as a man who says he's a Christian, uh-huh. who is a Christian? Yes. Hearsay. <laughs> 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 Man. Alleged Christian, David Bowden. I was confident in my salvation. I didn't know you were unconfident in my salvation, but keep going. Whenever I come to this, something like this, and it's like, okay, he offered his offering, one silver plate, whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver basin, 70 shekels, a coin shekel. Seth, wake up. Seth, wake up. Wake up. <laughs> like, and then I have to read that 12 times. Yep. Here, You know what I do? You just, I skim it. I read the first one. And then I just. And then I just read the first line yep. of all the other ones. Yeah. And that's all I do. I do the same thing. So. This is not that you need our permission. Yeah. <laughs> but I have felt guilty for not reading every word with the same amount of attention and interest and interest. And this is why I fail to read the Bible because I can't get like past <laughs> this hang up. Like this this part of the book yep. is not meant to be read. You're not meant to read it 12 times. Um and and every time you're like oh, another one. What's going to happen? Right. Yeah. It's meant to show you the people are obeying. Right. <laughs> like, think about it like this: It's like if you run a warehouse, right? Right. Um, you maybe you have a conver- maybe you work at a, in a warehouse, and you have a conversation with a coworker about what you did that weekend. That's a really important and interesting conversation. But the the thing you do while you're having that conversation or something is you have a clipboard, and on the clipboard is an inventory sheet of everything that's in the warehouse. Right. And you're walking around having a conversation with your friend about what you did in the weekend, and you're referencing. The inventory sheet, checking stuff off, making sure it's all there. Both types of of uh, like both genres of words are important. Yes, genres right? of words. <laughs> but like they like you treat them differently. This isn't a conversation God's having no, with the reader. This is an inventory. This is an inventory of yeah. Israel's obedience. Yes, <laughs> yes. And so like the point that's being made is really interesting. Uh, it's just being made in kind of, at least for, I mean, especially for Westerners, in, in a very my, uninteresting way. In my Bible, it's literally one, two, three, four, five, six pages of repetition. Six pages of repetition. Yeah, it's a lot. And and so, and the point is that uh, what we said is Israel is obeying. And so, what they're doing is uh, each tribe is coming uh, with a tribal leader, and they're coming and making a sacrifice. They're 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 bringing some plates and bowls and stuff. And then they are making three very specific offerings, basically the big three animal sacrifices from the opening of Leviticus. They're making the whole burnt offering, they're making the peace or fellowship offering, and they're making the sin offering. Yeah. And um and so like we should we should be like, oh, they're obeying Leviticus one to five. And as the leaders of their tribe, they are representing their right. whole tribe mm-hmm. and ma- helping make atonement for the entire tribe. They're they're acting as a mediator between the priest. He's acting yep. as a mediator between God's presence and their entire tribe because it's impossible to have thousands of people come to the temple right at some po- at, at one particular point. Yes, in time. Yeah, and so what they're doing is they are they're basically saying God has in this flashback God's not yet filled the tabernacle right. It's just an empty tent, and so they are obeying 
and they're coming and making atonement for all of Israel. All of Israel. They're sins. cleaning everyone up, right? So that God so that God can come. Right. Right. And so it's really important. Is like we we've said over and over and again as we've looked at these texts in Leviticus and and in Exodus even and now in in Numbers that God and sin don't coexist. And so in order for God's presence to come, there has to be atonement for sin made for the people. Right. And so he's cleaned it up. I mean, this does link us back to what we just looked at last week. If God is concerned with the ritual purity of his people and the cleanliness of the camp, this is how this is where it all started. Yeah. It's it like is. all it these is. sacrifices were made. And so and I, I encourage yeah. you to go back to listen to our podcast on Exodus 40. We kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. We spent 40 minutes yeah. on the first version of this. Right. So go back and listen yeah. to that. Obedi- like the importance of obedience and, and, and all that stuff and how to how to read stuff like this. It's, yeah. It, yeah, that was that was helpful. Um, but I mean, clearly the way to see Jesus in this is 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 going to be more obvious, I think. In that he is the perfect sacrifice. Well, and right? he's the perfect obeyer. Yeah, he's the perfect Israel. Yeah, like Israel. Right. Like he, like he obeys the laws of Israel perfectly. Mm-hmm. He comes to the temple. He uh, is the temple. He is the temple. He is sacrificed like the lamb, mm-hmm. and the whole nation is cleaned. Yep. And when his sacrifice is completed. The temple is broken in two, yep. and God's presence falls yep. not on the temple, but on everybody. Yep. It's a repeti- in Acts two. In Acts two, it's <laughs> yep. like this is, this is, what happens in Jesus. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. Yep. Um, and so that's that's what's happening that's here. It. I that's mean, it. <laughs> we've done it before. We've yep. we talked about this before, so we don't feel a ton of yep. energy to re-explain it to you. Go back to Exodus forty, uh, read it there, yep. and even the fact that you're reading it twice mm-hmm. should just mean like this is important. Yeah. Like I think in uh, Genesis, like the fact that, uh, or no, it's in Daniel, the fact that his dream is repeated twice, oh, or right. even in jo- the story of Joseph, tells you right. that this thing will most certainly come about. Yep. So the fact that it's re- repeated twice in the Pentateuch should tell you that obedience and God's presence are intimately linked together. Hmm. God's purity and his holiness and sacrifice are central to the heart right. of God. These things must surely come about, yeah. and they do yeah. in Christ. And the other thing to think about too is that all the tribes are involved. Um, we've like, you you can kind of think about the clans that and their responsibility uh, in the in the tabernacle, the different clans of the Levites. Yeah. And we we made we we took pains to make make the point that they weren't they they didn't have different amounts of dignity because they had different jobs. Right, they were all important to to the work of the Lord yeah. and to God's covenant people. And the same thing is happening here. Even though you're not a Levite who actually gets to be in the tabernacle, you are having a you you play a part. Yeah. In, well, Paul says in God's like, covenant people, you're part of a body. Yeah. Like, and some are for more honorable use and right. less honorable use. Yep. But all actually function like if none none of them function. Yeah. The way they're intended, the whole body stops functioning. Mm-hmm. Even if you think you're just a pinky toe. You actually, the whole body is balanced on your pinky and your yeah, big toe. Right. So if you lose that, right, it's that's a significant yeah. disability. And the like, most important part is what body are you a part of? You're part of the body of Christ, yes. right? And so for these people, it doesn't matter what what part of the of the like where are you positioned around the tabernacle? Are you on the east, west, north, south? Are you closest to the tabernacle, farthest from the tabernacle? It doesn't really matter. What matters is you're in the land with God. Yeah, like that's what you're matters. Part of His nation. You're part of His, his nation, just like we're part of Christ's body. And so we should also see that here in this text.
So the story continues, not just the cleansing of the people, but the cleansing of the Levites who are working close, most closely into mm-hmm. God's presence. But that's bridged by this little thing with the seven lamps. Oh, yeah. And the reason that's you should just notice it as a bridge is because there's seven lamps in front of the one lamp that is representing of God's presence. Mm. The seven lamps, um, I think, are a representation of all the people of God. And the reason why I think that is all the way in Revelation, mm. you have the seven uh, churches, churches, and I think... And there's seven lampstands for each seven, church. Yeah. And there's or a lampstand for, lamp for each church. And I think you could say, well, there, then there's only seven lamps. But that that's I think the purpose is all of God's people mm-hmm. are represented by those seven lamps, yeah. and these messages are given to them. So I think... Biblically, yeah. the idea of lampstands, particularly seven lampstands, represents all of God's people. And is this the, are, are these like, because are there eight, there's like, are there eight arms on the menorah? Is oh, that, yes. And, How and many so, are there? <laughs> and so we're, we're like, are these the seven that well, point to the one in the middle, or are these seven separate well, lampstands? It just says, when you set up the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light in front of the lampstand. Mm. And Aaron did so, and he said up its lamps in front of the lampstand. So I think... These are other lamps. These are seven lamps, I think, representing all the people. Okay. And you have God's presence yep. in front of them. And who goes between the people and the presence? Oh, the, the Levites. Levites. Yeah. Which is what we're talking <laughs> about next. So, oh, okay, cool. So this is the cleansing of the Levites who act as mediators between the right. people and God's presence. So the people have been atoned for and, and cleansed. Now the Levites need to be. And what we get here is what I think is one of the most beautiful pictures in the whole book of Numbers. I also thought it was the funniest picture. Really? Because well, because they said the people are being offered as a as wave, a wave offer. offering. And yeah. So I just pictured like thousands <laughs> of people just waving in front oh. of the tabernacle. I pictured uh, I pictured like a big guy coming and picking up a littler guy and just waving <laughs> him around. Uh, so let's get there. So, um, the Le- so the Levites, basically there's this picture that you need to see. And this is like where we get a really clear picture of the concentric circles of holiness we've talked about. You have the tabernacle in the middle with Aaron and Moses kind of right, right next to it. Then you have the Levites forming a circle, a protective boundary. They're actually called guards for the tabernacle and that they would bear the wrath for the people mm-hmm. of God. We looked at that a couple episodes ago. And then on the outside of the Levites, you have a circle of the rest of Israel. And what happens is there's this like prayer ring that's set up, you know, like, you know, whenever you like surround someone and you lay hands on them and you mm-hmm. pray for them. We do that a lot here at yeah, our church, yeah, Bridgeway. Yeah. Um, well, it's not going to be a your prayer church. Ring? A prayer ring. <laughs> I've never heard uh, it called that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, and you, and what's supposed to happen is the Levite or, or, or the rest of Israel is supposed to lay their hands on the Levites. And, and, and so, and then the Levites lay their hands on a bull or bulls. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and so what you have is this, this transference. And so it says first that the Israelites lay their hands on the Levites and the Levites are offered up to the Lord as a wave offering. Okay. Now a wave offering back in Leviticus was either always dead, a dead animal, and usually the breast of a chicken and sometimes like the fat, right? Right. Or one, uh, there's a sheaf is a wave offering, like a sheaf of grain mm-hmm. and sometimes bread. So okay. it's never a living thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always something that has, has died or is an- inanimate, right? But for the first time, we get Levites offered up as a wave offering. They're just sitting there waving. <laughs> and, and the reason why they're a wave offering is because wave offerings aren't burned or, or killed or anything like that. But they are presumed to be dead. And so yeah. you have these things that are alive offered as a sacrifice so that they might go on living, working in the tabernacle of God. Okay. Does this sound like Hebrews 12 to anyone? 
offer your <laughs> offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Mm. And so, like, what was the spiritual act of worship in the people of Israel was to tend the tabernacle, to work yeah. with God, and the That's Levites good. were the go-between between God and the rest of Israel and the rest of the world. And they were living sacrifices. They had been offered up to God mm. as a living sacrifice, as a wave yeah. offering. And so now in the new covenant, we are the Levites. We are the wave offering. We we carry the death of Christ with us everywhere we go. Though we have died, yet we live. We you know, it's like yeah. it's like uh Philippians two, twenty and twenty one. You know, all that stuff is just coming up here. And it's like we are the living sacrifices of God. And it's just mm. really cool. That is really cool. And um I think it also shows that uh, why why did the sacrifice sacrifice need to be carried out by living people? It's so that it might continue perpetually. It's so that the sacrifice might be done day after day after day, year after year after year. And what are we told about our ultimate priest? Right. He lives for us forever at the right hand of God, constantly making intercession. He is the living sacrifice that's always before the presence of God, always making intercession. That's good. This is it cool. That's really cool. And I think with this little scene helps me do too it's like sometimes i have a hard time thinking why do i need a representative Mm. like why do i need somebody else to pay for my sins like why can't i do it myself like why do i need a head that i look up to or i submit to right and so this idea of having a bunch of sacrifices in the middle Mm -hmm. the priests i mean thousands of priests thousands of priests in rings around multiple bulls placing their hands on the bulls and then you have thousands of people behind them placing their hands on the priests like it's this profound picture of the way that god imagines his relationship working with his people it's like it's always now i don't want to say one step removed but it's always through another yep our relationship with god is always secured or made made possible through another Mm -hmm. when we place our hands on another and so I just think that's really helpful, like for me, even as I think about why I need a savior, why I need Jesus, why I need a new priest. Although he's not a Levite, he's anyway. Right. That's but a whole yeah, he's better than Levi. He's he, better, he, better than Levi. He was in the loins of Levi, <laughs> Melchizedek. Anyway, more Hebrews. He um, he puts his hand like when we place our hands on Jesus, it does that for us. Like we're reenacting the consecration of the temple. Exactly. And I mean, even like I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. Because I place my hands on Jesus, mm-hmm. this temple has been concentrated because I have consecrated, tr- consecrated, concentrated, <laughs> concentrated <laughs> yeah. like, like juice. Like I, I have, I am now holy yep. because I have placed my hands, not on a mediator who placed his hand on a sacrifice, mm-hmm. but on the sacrifice itself, who was my mediator. Right. And I'm made holy by that once yeah. and for all. Yeah. And so that's why there were bulls in the middle, like that it, it if Israel or if the Levites were going to stand in for the rest of Israel, they would have had to die. Yeah. But God doesn't take human life for sacrifice except for his own, which is just the gospel (laughs) for himself, which is just the gospel. And instead then the Levites pass on what they've been passed on to. It's crazy. Why can't I be my own mediator? It's like, because to be your own mediator, you have to die. Yeah. And God's too merciful for that. (laughs) So it's like, like, I want to place uh, my hands on something that dies yeah. so that I might have life. Like, and that was, that's the whole story of the Bible. Like yeah. if you want to live in perfect life, like it demands death, like, mm. because I am not perfect life. Right. Like, so it's not that like God's bloodthirsty and he needs uh, a sacrifice. He needs death in right. order to, no. 
give you life. It's that you are death. Yes. And you have 120 years running down on your body, maybe probably less. Right. You are death. Yep. You are death incarnate. Mm-hmm. But if you want death incarnate, wants to live with life incarnate, you need a representative. A representative. A go-between. Who can die and then yeah, rise. That's right. Yeah. It's such a beautiful picture. And um, uh, and now it's I'm trying to see what would this picture look like in the, the kingdom of God now. That it's like God's presence is Jesus and we are his temple. Yeah, but I'm, I'm trying to like. Uh, it's like God's presence in the tabernacle is Jesus, and Jesus is the sacrificed bull mm-hmm. in the middle. Yeah. He's both. Those things used to be separated. You needed the bull to get in the presence. Right. But now the presence is the bull and the presence, and like all that is swirled together oh. in the middle, and we come straight to it. Yes. And we lay our hands on Jesus, who is both the presence of God and the sacrifice. And so yeah. in one like swirled together moment, we are brought into the presence of God because of the sacrifice of God. It's yeah. all squished together. Well, it's, it goes back to why, like, there are so many debates about communion. So, like, the way that communion, that communion is a is a, a, a picture of a sacrifice, mm-hmm. but to some others, it is the sacrifice. Oh, I see. Yeah, like so the whole in, transubstantiation debate. Right. Yeah. And so, when Catholic churches, why was the the priest would always stand in front of the sacrifice, mm-hmm. turn around, grab the sacrifice, and mediate it to others? just like the Old Testament. Levites. Yeah. But the Protestants would put the table in front of the priest, right. or the, 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 the preacher, the, the preacher, yeah. the preacher and they would come directly to it. Right. They're touching the sacrifice, the presence. Right. Everything is right there at their hands because it's communicating. Yeah. The Old Testament way of like coming through mediators mm, yeah. is done. We come straight to the mediator, to the presence, to God himself. Yeah, which is... Uh, Really interesting that you bring that up because the very next thing is the Lord's Supper. It's the Passover is celebrated next. Yes. Which, uh, which. Oh man, that's so good. Yeah. Okay, so we start this new, this new section. It's not really a new section, but uh, chapter nine begins uh, the Passover. The Passover celebrated. So it's been a year since the first Passover mm-hmm. uh, because Passover is New Year's Day. For Israel, they're supposed to set their calendars by it. So now it's been a year since the first one, which is cool. Like one year anniversary of being rescued from Egypt, right? <laughs> and uh, and this isn't so much about. So are we still in a flashback? Yes. Okay, so we're still in a flashback. Mm-hmm. This is the second Passover. Yep. The first one was celebrated in Egypt. Yep. This is the one is celebrated at the foot of Mount Sinai. Yeah. And and the flashback that we're in is very recent. It's a more recent flashback. Because this one is the first month of the year is Passover, mm-hmm. and then when, and then right before they set out, um, we're gonna read uh, uh, or like what we've been reading was ha- happening in the second month of it of the of okay. the year. So it's like it's very close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it is the timeline is a little confusing, um, but it's not super duper important. Right. What's more important is the structure that's here. Yeah. It, and it's less important of like why, like which one was first chronologically. What's important yeah. is which one is. Is what's the order literarily? Right. Because the reason they've been moved around is to make a theological point. Yeah, and the reason why this Passover is chronologically like jumped mm-hmm. is because the Passover is the defining moment yes. of redemption for the Hebrew people. Yep. And they're about to experience it again as they go into the new uh, the new Eden. That's right. But what's fascinating about this is where we just read a bunch of obedience. Mm-hmm. 
this is like you would expect them you expect then okay the passover was celebrated precisely in accordance with everything that was expect that was laid out in exodus yeah they're they're on an obedience streak right <laughs> but what actually happens here is an extenuating circumstance right so the law demanded that if you were unclean you were not allowed to participate in the feast the sacrificial mm-hmm. system whatever else right but yeah even this whole section was kicked off with if you were unclean go outside the camp right yep but Passover is so central to God's mm-hmm. saving work. What happens if you're unclean yeah, because the, the day that you're supposed to celebrate your salvation? Right. Because it was like, if you don't take the Passover, then you are banished. Right. And so it's like, I'm in a catch-22. I can't take the Passover or uh, because, so, or else I'll be banished because I'm unclean. Or, but I'm unclean, so I can't take the Passover, so then I'll be you're banished. Like, well, how did that happen? Like, like, if you're like, well, how did that tension come about? It's like, well... The people Life. of Israel didn't <laughs> expect it to come about until right. it happened. Yep. So this group of men comes up to Moses and says, "Our, our somebody in our family died. We've touched a dead, dead body. Yep. We actually not, we're, but we can't participate. But we really want to. Right. And so Moses is like, oh, that is a tension I never thought about. Mm-hmm. Like this is God saved us from death, but you can't participate in our salvation from death and slavery because you've touched death. So he goes and asks God, and God says he's allowed to. The people who've been unclean are still allowed to, and they celebrate together. Yep, and um, and and uh, but they actually celebrate it uh, at a separate time. Oh, really? Yeah, they don't they don't celebrate it at the same time. God sets up a second Passover. What? Yeah, r- read verse eleven, mm. verse eleven of chapter nine. In the second month of the fourteenth day at twilight, they shall keep it. So they don't actually keep it. Whatever God is is upholding the law. By saying unclean people aren't supposed to eat mm. of the Passover, but he makes a he makes a provision for them that they can celebrate it a month later, and so that way they would still they would be ritually clean, mm-hmm. and they'd be able to be to celebrate the Passover. Yep. So the timing's different. The timing's different. It's not that the death was taken away, the nope. impurity was taken away. It's nope. that God is allowing them to celebrate it a month later. That's right. He's upholding both sides of the law by making a provision. He's saying, I'll just let you celebrate the Passover a little bit later. So basically, anyone who was unclean, uh, sojourners, uh, peop- like there was a second Passover. It wasn't like a lesser Passover. Right. But it was just an extra provision made that if the timing if didn't work unclean, out for you, yeah. you know, maybe your mom died on New Year's Eve. Like, you know, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. like, well, you can't eat the Passover. That's horrible. Yeah. But there's a provision made. You can, you can do it in, in month so, two. On, so why is this here then? So that, that's yeah, what yeah, I was yeah. like. So like we're on an obedience streak. We're into going into the new Eden. There's lots of expectations. Right. We've already had this idea that God's intimately involved in the governance of Israel. Yep. But he didn't like, just wind up a clock and let it but go. But like yep. this feels like it's out of order from everything else. Yeah. I think for me, what's happening here is if you think about it, I mean, what happened at Passover? Number one, right? There were all these sacrifices that had to take place. The the lamb, and then you spread the blood over mm-hmm. the the doorpost, mm-hmm. and then wrath passed over your house when god's presence came mm-hmm. uh-huh like it no, nothing bad happened to the people yeah. <laughs> and then they were rescued and they went on a trip they yeah. left egypt and went to mount sinai now the same thing's happening all these sacrifices have been made both um all from all the tribes in chapter seven then from the levites w- with the rings and the hands being placed in the bulls all the sacrifices have been made and now god's presence is about to come yeah and they're about to go on a trip yeah. They're about to leave Sinai and go into the promised land. And so why, but what happened in between the sacrifices and the trip, Passover happened in Exodus. They celebrated this meal. And mm. so they're recapitulating their Exodus story. Got it. They're doing it all over again. Got it. And so what we're supposed to see here is not only is this one Passover lamb important, 
He's saying this whole sacrificial system that Leviticus has set up that you've now celebrated and the priests that are there are now all a part of this system that will make my wrath pass over you. Hmm. And so let's celebrate the Passover and then let's go on a trip. And I think that's what's happening. They're that's living really out the, the story of, of Exodus. Yeah. On their way into the New Eden. They're about yeah. to go on a trip. Yep. Yeah. Man. So the only other thing that I thought about here, too, and it's kind of a sad one, it's that um, going to the New Eden mm. should have meant that all that went wrong mm-hmm. is reversed. Right. <laughs> ultimate, and like the, the ultimate wrong. <laughs> ultimate wrong. Death. Death is not reversed. Right. But actually a provision for it is being made yeah. in the perpetual keeping of the Passover. So I think too it's supposed to hint at the fact that the new Eden won't be the new Eden. Yeah, there be there will be death in it. There's a provision made for death in the new Eden. For e- forever? Wait, what? Right. Yeah. So I, I thought God's promises were coming true. Right. So I think as a reader, mm. you're supposed to feel like this is a little out of place. Yep. Because death isn't supposed to be in the New Eden. That's right. There shouldn't be provisions for death because there should be no more death. Mm-hmm. And so I think what's, what's happening here is not you're not just getting clued into the broader story of the Bible. You're getting clued into what's about to happen in Numbers. Right, because Numbers is all about death. So much death in Numbers. In fact, like the rest of the time between the, the two censuses that we get Numbers is death totals. So like... A, a people will disobey and a punishment will come and and whenever the intercession comes and the punishment stops we get a death total and mm-hmm. it's like 4097 people died in this plague before it was stopped and then another plague comes mm-hmm. and 3000 some odd dead, dead 14000 dead and it's just death total right. death total death total and if you think about this 40 years in the wilderness uh in order to make 600000 people die because they refused to enter the land i mean Every day someone's dying. Yeah. Multiple people would have to die every day to hit that total. Yeah. And so Israel is going to be surrounded by death as they walk through the wilderness for 40 years. So that means every single year on day one, uh, they got to celebrate the Passover, but there's dead people everywhere. Right. They're so there are people along the way. They're like, always like, going to be ritually right. unpure. Yeah. So like, how will they be able to remember that God is a God who saves them in the midst of all this death? How are they going to be able to remember that God is faithful and gracious and will pass them over in his wrath and won't always be punishing them, right? Mm-hmm. How will they be able to celebrate the Passover in the midst of death? Yeah. And like that's why God makes this provision is he says that even in the midst of death, I am faithful. Right. And like for for me, like that is so vivid of a picture of like and I, I feel like I've taken taken the Lord's Supper for granted, where it's like, what a beautiful place for me to be able to go in the midst of life's trouble, when it looks like God's not faithful, when it looks like things are falling apart, when it, when, when, when people I know and love die, when my wife miscarries, when things just go wrong and are broken, the Lord's Supper stands at the altar for me to come to and be like, God is faithful. Like mm-hmm. in the midst of death, in the midst of chaos, God is faithful. And think too, like we get to take the Lord's Supper whenever we need it. Yeah, it's so cool. We don't have to wait a month nope. with, the rest of the, mm. with the rest of God's people. It's not once a year. We take it <laughs> as often as often as you drink this cup. Yep. Remember me. Man. Like, that's, yeah. it's like, it's better. It's better. It's <laughs> so much better. It's better. Yeah. So, we have this hint mm. that the new Eden won't be the new Eden. Yeah. But it's just a hint. Right. Because the next thing that happens is God's presence falls. Well, right? kind of. Yeah, kind of. Um, it, it's, uh, it's, it's actually just a, like a little, 
like story that takes place. It's not, it, it, and it's on the day the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the temple and the tent of the testimony. Um, and and so appearance of fire under the morning, but that's yeah, like some of like, God's presence, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the rest of it, like, so you get that. So yes, yeah. I should have said yes, but yes, but okay. Yes, so but. God's presence, falls, God's presence falls, but yeah, which, which is like Eden, which, yeah, is, which like is great. Eden. Yep. Uh, but then, uh, and then, in, and then, verse sixteen. So it was always, and then we kind of get this picture of what the journey of Israel looks like, yeah. and what it basically says is when the cloud would lift, the people. The Gershonites and the Kohathites and whatever, the Mer people from last episode, (laughs) would gather up the tabernacle and they would keep walking and they would follow the pillar until it rested. And then they would set up the tabernacle underneath the pillar and they would wait. And they would wait until yeah. the pillar would leave. And thinking yep. that, they're repeating the Exodus story. Yep, exactly right. Every single time they move. Yep. Like, what do they do? Passover? God's pr- like, like uh, the, you... Oh, shoot, <laughs> you messed it up. <laughs> they got rescued out of Egypt by a oh. pillar of clo- cloud and fire. Yes. God's presence falls. Yes. Again, they celebrate the Passover. They complete the things. And then God's presence falls. Like the same <laughs> right, thing's right, happening right. over and over again. And every time they move, they're remembering the Exodus story. Yeah. Like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so uh, what, what, I, what I read about this was really funny. They, they said the Hebrew here is really not awkward, but dis, like different from the rest. Okay. And it, it's Where? almost sing-songy through Where? this whole thing. So it's like, uh, at the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out. And at the command of the Lord, they camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in the camp. Even when the cloud continued. It's like, it yeah. just it, it's so much cloud and set up and go out and, and come down and, and stay. And camp and, and camp, camp and camp. camp and set out and all this stuff. And apparently it's it's it kind of sounds like a song that they would have <laughs> sung as they traveled. So like as they were packing up, they were like, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's, it's off, off to Canaan, Canaan we go. <laughs> I think so, yeah. And so um, that's what's happening here is, uh, and it's it's predicting future obedience, okay. um, which will end up not really being the case. They will kind of follow God everywhere, but it's it's an ironic following because they'll follow God, and we're about to see them get straight to Canaan. Like they're going to get there real yeah. quick, pretty soon. But then after they disobey, we're going to see them meander in the wilderness for forty years. And they're following God, and they, they're they're following the pillar and everything, but they're not going anywhere. They're okay. going in circles, and they're dying off as they wander. And so this is like an ironic obedience that they're following God, but as they do, they're dying because they're yeah they're being punished. And so at this point, it's not ironic because we don't know they're going to die yet. We have a That's hint. Right. We have a hint with the death thing. With the death thing, yep. and then maybe this is ironic. But what you're saying is. The story will prove that this is an ironic following. They're mm-hmm. following the pillar of fire, right. but they're not actually following God. Exactly right. Yeah. Even though they they obey them with their mouth, yep. their hearts are far from him. Yep. It's like it's the same story that gets repeated in the prophets and everywhere else. Mm-hmm. Like there's this external obedience yep. as if you're following God, but the rest the rest of their lives prove that they're not. Yep. That's right. And so, I mean, what's cool for this, uh, I mean, this part for us is this cloud that comes over the tabernacle and tells it to go or move or stay or go here or go there. It gives direction. It tells you to stop or tells you to go. In the New Testament, that's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted, right? Yeah. The Holy I mean, exactly what he's doing right here. Exactly right. Exactly what he's doing right here. And then um, Philip in Acts 7, the Holy Spirit led him 
uh, to go be with, or was it eight? Acts eight, I think, to the Ethiopian eunuch. Yeah, the the Holy Spirit will prevent Paul from going to a particular he, place. Yeah, restrains like, him. Yeah. yeah, and uh, we're told to live in step with the Spirit, to walk with the Spirit, and so we still have this pillar of cloud and smoke that comes over the new tabernacle of God and tells it where to go and what to do. I wish I still had a pillar of cloud and smoke. I know. <laughs> like, so why is it better? Yeah that I don't have a yeah, pillar of cloud right. hovering over Kansas City, which I'm about to move. Like, why is it better? Yeah, that would be nice if, as you're right. wrestling with leaving Oklahoma City and yeah. moving to Kansas. If it was just like, oh, the pillar's moving. I'm going over there. Right. Yeah, I mean, obviously. Why is it better? Yeah, I think you're, you're, you're picking up on the end of John, right? And Jesus says, it's better that I leave you because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be your helper. So in one sense, Jesus was the pillar of fire and cloud. Like he comes, incarnates God's presence. In one place. In one place. He was called the tabernacle. He's walking around. He's the tabernacle. As he walks places, people are getting healed. And people are following him. And yeah, whenever he would leave, they would follow. Yeah. So like he's the cloud. Yep. But then he's like, it's better that the cloud goes away. Mm Mm-hmm. Because but, now there's going to be millions like, of clouds. Than fire. I mean, and that's what happens on the day of Pentecost. Fire falls yep, right. on, on, peop- on, on bunches of people. On bunches of people, <laughs> 120 people. But really, that happens once, yep. and the fire is inside. Yes. The fire is subjective. Yeah, and that's why it's better. It's better because, as you talked about, there was this split between following the presence of God outwardly and actually following God inwardly. What the Holy Spirit does as the new fire, he comes in and guides us and says, go here, go there, do this, do this. But as Ezekiel says, he actually causes us to obey. And he actually gives us hearts that actually love God, that can actually follow him both with our actions and with our affections. So for people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. it actually becomes impossible to obey God with your hands, but have a heart that's far from him. Like... I mean, it, impossible is a strong word. Right. But what I but I, what I mean by that is, if you are f- like, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, if the fire is inside you, like, w- the true thing that you should be searching for is not necessarily where you should be going. Mm. It's that as you are going, you are living as God intended. Yeah. This is what I mean, this is the will of the Lord. Your sanctification. Yeah. Right. First Thessalonians. Yeah. And so I think that this has been advice I've given to my students. Fairly frequently, but I haven't had a biblical theological thing with mm. the, the pillar of pillar of fire in the Old Testament. But I've said like it's not so much that like God God cares about where you go, mm-hmm. but what He's really concerned with is with your heart as you go. Right. And I think that's what is proven in Numbers. It's like it's not that the fact that they got to the border of Canaan. Right. It's that their hearts were right when they got to Canaan. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I think for us, we should probably move uh, the goalposts mm. on what is success. Right. Success isn't knowing with 100% certainty that you should go to Kansas City versus New York City versus staying in Oklahoma City. Right. The marker of success is that you were faithful, that your heart did not stray, and that you're obedient to the Lord throughout that process. Yeah. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. Yeah. Absolutely. He's less, yeah. It's so good. And um, and, and that's I, why it's better, yeah, right? Yeah, that's why it's better. And I think it's just so encouraging uh, to, to know that this this pillar and this fire that guided the people of Israel is in me and guides me. And like, I just don't live like that's true so often. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm going to pick up my tent and walk whenever I want. And I'm not actually going to wait for the fire of the Lord to move. And, uh, cause that just seems so counterproductive, Yeah, (laughs) but it, and like, I can imagine for Israel, it probably felt like that every night. Why are we, why are we still here? Why haven't, why haven't we left yet? 
Or it's like, we just set up. Why are we already leaving? Like, you can imagine as they followed the, t the fire of the Lord through the wilderness, some of the moves he made probably didn't make sense. But they waited. Yeah. And it's like, that is wisdom, is waiting on the Lord. Yeah. And it's not to say that in that process of the internal, subjective, heart-transforming pillar of cloud that lives inside of us, that there isn't a directive element to it. Mm -hmm. not, God does care. God's mostly concerned about your heart wherever you go. Right. But he also cares about where you go. Yep. As is evidenced by the fact that Paul was prevented from going to yep. Macedonia and Philip was led to the Ethiopian eunuch. Jesus went to the wilderness. Yep. But what we have in the Holy Spirit is better because we have a guarantee mm -hmm. that we are sealed by God. First Corinthians and 1. He will make us more like his son yes. as we go there. Yep. Even if we end up on the wrong side of the wilderness, mm -hmm. our hearts will be better off. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I think it's really important to know is like I think I think a lot of people are, are probably thinking like I don't feel like there's a guiding fire in my heart telling yeah. me where to go and making my heart actually obey and love God. And it's like, yeah, it might not feel like that, but think about the book of Numbers as a whole. And as they meander, as the old generation meanders around the wilderness, ta tagging the younger generation along, and the younger generation has to watch the older, older generation just die and die and die and wait and wait and wait. And they see the pillar of cloud lift and drop, lift and drop, and they're moving around. The younger generation is watching all this, and they're they're changing. Their hearts are changing, so that as they get closer to being the majority of the camp, um, they are proven as way more faithful. Like mm -hmm. when they go into battle, they win because God is with them. Whenever they get to the promised land in the book of Joshua, they actually obey. I mean, this these are the people who, unlike their forefathers. In the book of Joshua, they're going to come up to the to the land of Jericho, and they're not even going to pull a sword out. They're just going to march around it and blow trumpets, and like and the city falls. Like this is the faith of people who went through extreme suffering and loss and death in order to get to this place of extreme faith. And so, like even though it might not feel like you're being taken in the right direction or in the right spot, like God is forming you, and that is the promise of perseverance in the Holy Spirit that. Even though it might not feel like a guarantee, it is a guarantee that he will bring you where he wants you to be. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to creating free, gospel-centered media that speaks the gospel out of every corner of scripture. So to join us in our mission and view our resources, we invite you to visit SpokenGospel.com. Spoken Gospel.